Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here with a very exciting episode. We have Takora Davis from the Creators Law Firm on the show today. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Takora. Thank you for having me. Okay, so we were just doing a little bit of a pre-chat before this, and you know, kind of the the big outline. This is something we uh, haven't done for a couple of years, but we're going back to Law Firm 500. And Takora's firm in the last three years has grown by 724%. I'm sure a lot of you guys are curious on to how she did that, but um, she's got a super, super unique perspective on how she did it. And I wanted to, uh, if possible, kind of go right back into the conversation that we kind of started on the pre-chat, but let's talk about social media. You've had a fantastic social media presence in building up this firm. So just kind of like to, to get the ball rolling, like what are your overall thoughts about how that fits in your bigger strategy? Well, I think, you know, social media was a tool that I leveraged when I first started the firm in 2017 because I was broke and it was free. (laughs) There you go. That's good. No reason. (laughs) I mean, I was broke and it was free. And I got, I thought I can't pay a marketing company at this time. I don't have the capacity to be able to do that. But what I can do is build community. A lot of people say cash is king, but really community is king. And so what I did was I then looked at my platform and I determined what is the why of my firm? You know, why did I create this business and who am I serving and how can I reach more of those people? And so in 2017, where there really weren't a lot of trademark attorneys of color, specifically Black men and women trademark attorneys, there may have been a handful of, of those of us at the time who were online. I saw an opening and I said, wow, I could really leverage and launch a platform that is going to empower and educate and inspire my ideal clients. And so one of the ways I did that was I went into Facebook groups that were with entrepreneurs and I began to educate them about trademarks. And when I did that, I wasn't primarily selling, I was primarily educating, like, why is this important? How can you use it? You know, what's the differences? And what ended up happening where people were so thankful that I was so helpful in educating them, they began to inquire about my services. And in inquiring about the services, or they'd say, how can I follow you? How can I stay connected? And I'd say, oh, I have these social media pages, and I also have a Facebook group. And so what I ended up doing was I created a Facebook group for entrepreneurs. And we not only spoke about trademark and intellectual property, but other business matters that could help them build a stronger business. And that group has went through several name iterations over the years, but we're about 3,800 members and it's wow. been kind of steady at that time. So as I educated them and I inspired them and I used my other gifts and talents, what ended up happening was I kind of built this little street team. <laughs> So anytime someone requested services that were trademark services, those people were tagging me before I could even get to the post. And then I would literally be tagged multiple times. And so people continuously saw my name. And because of that, and that just building an authentic following and pouring into people, they've in turn, thousands of people have tagged me and brought me lots of business. And so I leveraged that really educating people to take action um, and then kind of having this, you know, street team that's not on payroll, virtual street team 
that in turn got the attention of Facebook and that platform. And so they ended up reaching out to me and we were kind of chatting about how they did a little mini documentary on my firm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And I got a lot of places to kind of potentially go from there, but I think it all kind of starts with the fact that you identified a like a, an avatar that really worked for you and it, no one was really serving it to that point. Right. Right. That was critical. And it was so key because, you know, as a trademark attorney and you look at the statistics, you know, there, I think maybe 20% of trademark attorneys are women. I could be a little off of that. Stat. However, less than 2% of intellectual property attorneys are African-American. So across the United States, it's about maybe 550 intellectual property attorneys that happen to be African-American. However, if you look at the statistics of who is launching businesses at a faster rate than anyone else, it's Black women uh, on average starting around 1,400 businesses per day. So you have a very large growing population who's starting businesses that need business legal services and intellectual property legal services, and they're being served by a very small niche of people. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I want to also say this too, because, you know, when you have that relationship and if you can kind of think about somebody who's entered your world, right? Not only are they seeing all the social proof from the group, they're seeing you individually being helpful. They're seeing all this different stuff too. So you're obviously the person to deal with when it comes to it too. But it's really interesting because I know we've spoken about the trademark stuff so far, but I went on your site and it's basically once you have that relationship, there's so many other things that you can offer a person like that, right? Yeah, we're doing a a website relaunch. And so we're working on that. But, you know, what I've done is I've realized I serve everyone, but I primarily serve women and that same woman just at different phases of her business. Mm -hmm. And so when she comes into my atmosphere of influence, I really want to make sure that I'm able to serve her at the level that she's at. I created a tool. It's a lead magnet. It's like a biz fit tracker. That's what I call it. And so if you download it, what you'll end up seeing is you'll find the revenue level that you're at, probably some of the mental mindsets and issues that you're going through, what you need in terms of your business foundation and legal foundation. And based on your revenue level, I recommend legal services that you need which obviously are tools or products or services that I offer. And so I'm really making legal simple in that regard. So when someone comes and they say, okay, I'm just getting started. Well, you're at the starter level between zero to 999,000. What do you need to have in place? And so people are so frightened by lawyers. They're they're really afraid of us. (laughs) And, And they're also afraid of legal. They're afraid of doing something wrong and getting sued. And so As an educational informational tool, I'm sharing with them a tracker that can really walk them all the way from zero to one million and then saying, here are the corresponding legal services that you need to have in place, as well as the people that you need to have on your team. And so, you know, one of the things we say is your legal doesn't have to be complicated. And so not only is the platform and our content created with that in mind, the tools that we share with people have that in mind as well. And so you know, you might go to a contract shop. We're going to launch our contract template shop, relaunch it. We've we've had it before and we're repurposing it and saying, hey, you may not be able to hire us to draft a custom contract at 2K. However, you may be able to afford a $99 to $250 contract template that can get you started and have a stronger foundation. Yeah. I think it's so brilliant because it's like, I want to dig into this a little bit too, but in in one sentence, you've done something a couple different times. It's like, 
you're able to very seamlessly identify where the gaps are in the market and provide the exact thing to fill in that gap. And, you know, one of the things I want to point out is, you know, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of uncertainty. What's the counter to that? Education, trust. And that's, I think, on a huge level, why your, your strategy has been working so well. But I want to actually take a step back and say, how are you able to speak to these clients so directly? Like, what's your process for getting that voice of customer? I'm, I'm really fascinated by that because it's so key to what you've been able to do. Yes. So when I started in 2017, one of the first things that I did was I Googled, why do people hate lawyers? <laughs> oh, I have a list and it talked about all the reasons why people hated lawyers. And it said things like we speak in a different language. We are, are speaking in legalese, that people are not transparent in pricing. And so I had this list and I looked at it and I said, I'm going to be the anti-lawyer, right? And so I'm going to make sure that when I'm speaking to people, it's in a way that I am easily understood, that I'll be able to use analogies and uh, reference pop culture to help them understand legal. So for example, if you're a fan of the 90 sitcom Martin, one of the fa my most favorite things with Martin is he like kicks people out of his house. He's like, get, this <laughs> get out, right? And so I thought, well, your website terms and conditions are essentially this. You're sharing with people the behaviors and the expectations that you have of them when they're visiting your site and what they can expect of you. And if they are not behaving appropriately, you can yeah, reference yeah. Martin and be like, get <laughs> out, get the stuff it, right? And people are like, oh, I get it. I understand now, right? And so I made sure that when I'm speaking to people, it's in a manner in which they can easily understand what I'm saying. They teach you that in law school, but many attorneys lose that. They say you have to talk to people as if you're speaking to an eight-year-old. And so I think of it in that way where I'm saying, how can I speak to someone not in a way that chastises them, but that educates them and empowers them? And then they have a really funny reference to say, oh, no, no, attorney Davis said it's like Martin when he kicks you. This is why I need the terms and conditions on the website because of this, these reasons. And so it's that. And then also I like to view things through a culturally relevant lens. Uh, about 95 to 96% of my clients are African-American women. I've been black all my life, so I know how to speak. <laughs> I know how to speak to my people, right? Yeah. But I also know how to speak to many other people too. And so it's just making sure that when I'm sharing or even when I'm representing people, it's through that culturally relevant lens and honoring whatever culture that you come from, because I think that's even more important too, that as attorneys, we say, okay, this is someone else's culture. You know, when I went to Peru uh, and I, I lived in Miraflores for like six weeks, one of the things that they told us was you, it's disrespectful to put your left hand underneath the table. You know, it's similar to us putting our elbows on the table in America. It's um, disrespectful. But culturally, I believe that people who used to put their left hand underneath the table back in the day is like, are you holding a gun? Are you so, so you're supposed to sit and eat with your left hand gently placed on the table. And that's a culturally relevant perspective that when you're visiting someone else's country, you should keep that in mind. And so I think when I, I represent some of my clients, I'm trying to make sure that I understand their culture so that I can represent them well and speak to them well. Yeah. And you hit on something really important too, because I think this is something I see way too much in attorney marketing. It's, and, and I, I, I always come at this from like a marketing and copywriting perspective. One of the, you know, the, the traits of the most successful copywriters in history is they write at a very, very like, you know, if you're shooting for yeah seventh, eighth grade level, perfect. 
But I think a lot of people get in their own way because they're so concerned with displaying all this expertise. And, you know, candidly, I think this is something that people are encouraged to do, especially in big law. It's like, all right, cool. Hey, look, you're a subject matter expert. Knock this guy's socks off and then we're going to get the deal. We'll take care of everything else. But the truth is, it's it's being able to communicate with people that makes them want to resonate with you in the first place. And um, I also think it's really interesting too. Like I think like those you know the, the stories and the little like touch points too. Have you ever read of this book, Moonwalking with Einstein? No, I have not read it. It's about this guy who's like a memory champion. But the whole thing is that basically like when you you come up with all these different devices for accessing parts of your memory, and then whenever you have one of those metaphors that really hits, that's it. Anyone who's seen that story is never going to like, you know, forget (laughs) what your terms and condition means about it because it's accessible to them. And you could, you know, take them through the actual, you know, process of it and they'd they'd be as educated, but are they going to be able to remember in six months? Probably not. So (laughs) exactly. Yeah. And I want to ask, like, you know, it seems like you really have a knack for this, like outside of your legal training, like, did you ever spend any time in education or like, you know, how, how'd you get so good at this, Sikora? Let me think about it. Okay. So, I mean, throughout, throughout life, I've always been a leader, you know, I've always been the president of something or some sort of organization. And so even throughout college, you know, I spent a lot of time being the president of different organizations and in my sorority, I have the title is the ace, right? And so as the ace, you are the mouthpiece for your sorority cohort, right? So you're speaking on their behalf. And so I'm like, I was extremely shy. And I was like, oh my God, I have to speak on behalf of all these people, you know, and kind of be like one voice. So I think that that training in that regard was really, really powerful because it gave me the confidence to project and to speak and to do so in a way where I wasn't just representing my interests. I was representing the interest of my sorority sisters. And so I think I leveraged that. I also worked for a member of Congress and I was the legislative correspondent and staff assistant for Congresswoman Fudge, gosh, in 2010. And so as you can imagine, uh, answering phone calls of constituents and you don't know if they're going to love you or hate you when you pick up the phone, it really makes for, you know, building up a really tough shell. And so I was, I had to listen and I had to understand and I tried to help the people who were her constituents and because we were working for them. And so um, you, you hear so many different kinds of things when people call in. And so I think that gave me just a heart of grace for people in their particular circumstances and also helped me to become a much better advocate. It's really difficult to advocate for someone if you can't communicate with them. And so right. for me, I need to be able to be a really strong advocate, but I have to understand what matters most to people. And I'm constantly, constantly, my team will say it, Attorney Davis, you always put yourself in the shoes of the client because that's what matters most. How do they feel? It doesn't matter what our intent is. It matters our impact. And so how did they feel as a result of these services? And how can we ensure that they continue to receive excellent service dealing with us? Yeah, that's super interesting. And I was going to say like, you know, it's such an interesting story because like, you didn't really have a choice. So you had to like deal with people from all these different layers of society too. And it's just kind of like a trial by fire. Like, I can't imagine how many calls you were fielding at the time. Probably was more than most attorneys are dealing with on a daily basis, right? And, uh, 
And like, you just kind of have to like, you know, you just kind of have to figure it out. And I also find it really interesting, like, you know, based on the story you're telling about the sorority, this was something that you put yourself, you know, you stepped up the occasion. You weren't, you know, stepping out of the womb, just, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies here. Like there was some effort that had to go into it, right? Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, even how I started my law firm, it was just, I had to start it by force. I, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to have me a nice job and work for someone else and get good benefits because that's what was safe. You know, my story was, unfortunately, I worked for a really not nice guy and throughout 2016. And as I was working for him, he ended up firing me for having a baby and he was oh, a lawyer. So, oh, yeah, it was really, really just terrible. But as I worked for him, it, again, toxic work environment, yelling at me, cussing at me, you know, and I'm pregnant with my first child. And I, I think I just been licensed for a year. So I kind of felt like I, I need this job. I, I got to take it. Like I don't have any other choice. He never taught me anything about practicing law, didn't teach me anything about trademarks, but he certainly had me run in that law office. And that's where I kind of learned Oh, how do you run a firm? What's needed? What are the systems? You know, I, I had no idea about that. And when he let me go or fired me, you know, I then found myself in a workforce of being a doc, working in doc review and, and doing and making 20 bucks an hour. And I thought I, I can't I would come home every day and tell my husband, I, I'm not going to make it much longer. Like, <laughs> I'm not built for this. Like, you know, and I told him, I said, I'd rather try to open up my own law firm, then do this. Like, at least if I try to do something myself, I can make something happen. And so I think also just the humility that happened in that situation, just, you know, the, the, the really tough part, it allowed me to build this, this modern day firm where it's, you know, really uh, heart led, you know, it's head led, but it's also heart led. So really understanding like where are people at in their life and how much grace do they need and how can we support them and make this a really great work environment? Because I know what the alternative is. Yeah. And I just had no idea. I was truly ignorant to the fact that that is actually some people's experience. And also this type of law that I practice, it's a very big law. So not many, now it's a little different, more smaller and solo practitioners are getting into IP law, but most of the time it was, you know, big law. And so it's a very low barrier of entry and a lot of people don't have experience. And so if you're trying to get experience, you're going to go where you can get in. And so he was that other option. So thankfully I'm, and many other women are providing other options as well. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because it's almost like, you know, you had step one was starting the firm and being the solo, but it's like, you almost had the education for step two and beyond from the experience of basically being the CEO for that law firm. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was the, definitely the secretary or the administrative assistant, but I am such a sponge, you know, I will get into an environment and I will look at everything and I'll just soak it up and I'll begin to analyze how can this work better? So I have this very light, right and left brain. I have a biology degree, so I'm a scientist, so I'm very analytical. And then I went to law school. So I have this unique ability to kind of go from a creative mindset to also a, a strategic mindset. And so I definitely didn't realize that I had so many tools at my disposal because I was really focused on what I didn't have. Yeah. Like you don't have the experience. You, you've never filed a trademark. You're calling yourself a trademark attorney and you haven't. So I faced a lot of imposter syndrome, but you know, there was so much more that was on my side clearly that was against me. And I'm thankful for that. 
Yeah. We'll also got to say too, I mean, I'm speaking from experience, just like sometimes having a really, really terrible work experience, like immediately before starting a business is it's some pretty high test fuel. I got to say like, you know, and it's, it's what you need when you're getting off the ground sometimes. (laughs) It, It was exactly what I needed because otherwise, but for, he gave me a gift and the gift was the gift of doubt. He doubted me. And anytime, the worst thing you can do if you encounter me is to doubt my ability and to doubt that I can do something because I'm just going to prove you wrong. And the fact that he, you know, let me go and he said, I think you need to focus on healing your body and get over your pregnancy brain, that I don't think you're fit for the success of this firm. It was the doubt that I needed to say, who are you talking to? Like, (laughs) you don't even know who I am. And so I use that as fuel to really drive me because I knew I could do it. I knew I was a great asset. I just felt like I was overlooked, but I don't believe that if I work for anyone else that I would have the level of success that I have right now, nor the level of freedom that I'm experiencing right now, because what I wanted um, in terms of the type of work environment, it literally didn't exist. I had to build it. And so I think I would have continued to chase what I have now. Yeah. And um, I think that gives us a super, super good segue. So let's talk about uh, the firm in 2022. So, uh, you know, obviously you're going to do a lot of the attorney stuff, but uh, let's talk about your team. What have you scaled up to in the last couple of years? Oh, wow. My team. Okay. So this is exciting. So we are 10 strong now. Wow. So I like to say it's woman on woman power. We do have one male contractor. He's awesome. And so I have myself in terms of the legal team, uh, I'm still the founder, CEO, providing, you know, executive oversight to the legal team and training. We have our head of legal, which is attorney LaVon Jones. She's been with the firm for, gosh, almost two years. Then uh, Shelby Akerley. So she uh, recently passed the bar and she's joined us. So that's wonderful. And we also have a paralegal, Victoria, who's our rock star. So have such a solid, wonderful legal team that we're continuing to build. Then have an operations director, and so Ashley is our systems queen. So she is just helping the firm run efficiently and effectively. And we also have Kira, who is our new operations assistant, and Amari, who is our new office assistant. So I'm really trying to bring the, I was really outsourcing uh, calls and whatnot to a third party, but trying to have more of a human touch now. And then finally, we have our sales and marketing department. So we have a junior designer in-house, and that is if I knew then what I know now, I would hire the junior designer so much faster just because you have to produce so much content to have someone who's working for you full time, producing content, both internal and external content. Oh, man, what a blessing. So we have those. And of course, Marie, my executive assistant. So and Muhammad, who's also helping on the design in. So that's the team. You know, we're moving and kind of it's like a, I'm like, oh, my God, I built a machine. Yeah. <laughs> the machine is, is is working without me. And so it's functioning. And so now my role this year is to say, you've built something incredible. It's really great. Where are the weaknesses in the business and fix them? So something that malfunctions still functions. And so, you know, you think about it like, oh man, you know, you might have a trash can, right? And you step on it and the top pops up. But if you've ever seen a trash can where you're stepping on it and like the top doesn't come up anymore. Well, you can still use it. Right. You have to lift, you have to lift it. It's malfunctioning. But many of us think, well, our firms and our businesses, they're malfunctioning, but th- th- that's fine. It's working just fine. That's dysfunctional. <laughs> yeah. So I, what I'm now looking at is 
where are all the dysfunctions and malfunctions in my business? Where are all the gaps? You know, where are they confused? And let me fix them. So I'm going through and making sure that what I built is even more powerful because that's going to take me from good to great. Yeah, that's a fascinating. I've never heard that quote before, but it's such, it's such a true thing. And like, it's funny. I, I had a similar conversation with our director of marketing a while back. And I was like, okay, look, you're going to look at some stuff about our email list and the other stuff too. And like, you know, you got a car that the check engine lights on. It's been driving on three tires for the last 70 miles. Don't be alarmed. But it's tough <laughs> because sometimes it's really easy to orient yourself to either like the new exciting, mean, me personally, at least orienting towards the new exciting thing or the thing that's completely, uh, you know, the, if the trash can's on fire. So a lot of those things kind of go overlooked. But I think in a lot of ways too, like the thing that's malfunctioning today could be the fire that's, you know, two or three months down the line. Or if nothing else, it's just a thing that just has like a little hitch in the experience. And when you kind of get those, it's very subtle. But when you have something that's like truly seamless, it just makes the client experience. It goes from like 10 to like 25, you know, when you get all those things handled. I'm always looking for ways to improve. What I found as an entrepreneur, and you probably can understand what I'm about to, what I'm about to preach, right? <laughs> we rarely slow down enough to be strategic. Mm -hmm. We're always running, 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 trying to get the next thing done. And I'm forcing myself to slow down so I can be strategic and I can see the issues and address them. And that's so hard for me because I want things done yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So I, I know uh, for, for anyone in the, the audience who's listening to this and be like, yeah, what like a dream situation, like especially the kind of visionary strategic type people, like imagine if I could do this every single day. It's a process, right? And one of the questions that I've actually been really like fascinated by in the last little bit is just like the order of operations for getting yourself to the point where you can focus on what's really important. So let's rewind all the way back to the beginning. Like what were your first priority hires and like, how did you kind of build yourself up to the point where you're at right now? Oh, wow. So, I definitely didn't know what I was doing, um, but I hired a virtual assistant. That was my very first hire because I was like, I need someone to help me you know, answer emails and post things and all sorts of stuff. And I ended up hiring a wonderful virtual assistant, but sheesh, it was like $44 an hour. Wow. I wasn't making a lot of money. I really didn't even understand about leveraging foreign talent and getting support, you know, in different spaces or even potentially like um, external internship programs at colleges. And so I had this amazing virtual assistant. She really helped lay some initial groundwork for the business. But the difficulty was because I wasn't making a lot of money, she certainly got paid, but I didn't always get paid consistently. Mm -hmm. And so she worked with me for several years. And I think my next best hire was because a virtual assistant was leaving. I thought that was the worst thing, but it was really one of the best things. Um, I ended up realizing how strong I was and I hired another local virtual assistant and she worked like 10 hours a week. And then I actually hired attorney Jones as a part-time attorney in 2018. Mm -hmm. So those were really great strategic hires. And that virtual assistant, the second one that I hired in 2018, that's Ashley. And so Ashley was my very first employee full-time, unfortunately in 2018, because I didn't have my pricing structure worked out appropriately for my firm. Mm -hmm. And I was not pricing for profit. I was pricing my services based off of my feelings and not facts. Yeah. I could not extend her an offer of employment, Attorney Jones. So I had to let Attorney Jones go in 2018. And that was really tough. But Ashley and I, she began to work full time. She was answering phones. She was doing everything. She was answering phones, doing emails, all sorts of stuff. And because of that experience that she had 
as we really, we grew like crazy in 2020. That's where I went from the previous year, 300 and 315,000 in revenue to the next year, a million. Wow. The growth was crazy. And I'm like, I got to hire everybody, you know, (laughs) but thankfully, Ashley, who was a virtual assistant at the time, she was doing a lot of systems. And I said, you know what? You'd be a really great operations director. And so she went from being a virtual assistant to an operations director of the company. She was the only person who could do it. And she's like my right hand woman. I next hired, you know, in the midst of 2020, I got a paralegal extern from a local community college. That student worked for 15 hours a week and I trained her in how to do things. And then the pandemic happened, the externship program stopped. And I'm like, hey, I really like you. Would you like a part-time job? And she's like, yeah. She ended up graduating. And then I offered her a full-time job because we were growing so fast. I'm like, I had this amazing student, didn't have to pay her because she was getting course credit transition to part-time pay and now full-time. And I also, at the beginning of 2020, where all this was happening, had also offered a part-time job to Attorney Jones. I went back to her and said, hey, part-time work, this is how much I can pay hourly. You know, what do you think? The big transition that prompted the hiring and me choosing to run my business differently is I lost my father. My father passed in May of 2019. And as I was writing my father's obituary, I was also drafting responses to office actions. And that's basically legal work, you know, that you do on behalf of trademark clients. I was still taking consultations. And I had this moment with myself where I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, what did you build? You built a burden, not a blessing. You built something you are tethered to and you cannot escape from because you were too afraid to price appropriately. You were too afraid to hire people to help you. You're too afraid because you think if you hire an attorney, they're going to steal clients from you or something crazy like that. And so I really had to do the healing. And then I said, okay, I have to take some really strategic leaps of faith because I need to run this like a business. And so from that moment of losing my father, I intentionally began to say, I have to do something different because I was living beneath my purpose. I created this business in 2016 when I began to draft my vision for it. I said, this is going to be a safe place for women to work and give birth to anything, whether it be a business or a baby. I'm going to have a wonderful work environment. I'm going to be that top trademark attorney. And when I lost my dad, I looked at it. I'm like, this doesn't look like anything what I said it was going to look like. And so from his loss, I gained an intense amount of wisdom and humility. And I said, you are going to have to take some huge leaps of faith if you're going to have a business that can run and function without you, but they can also serve the community that you're designed and destined to serve. And so I have just made a lot of uh, mistakes. I've taken a lot of risk. Um, I've done a lot of things well. And as a result of that, and just partnering and, and really saying, I'm investing in you. I'm hiring you full time because I can. And the books support that. I've actually turned around and made a lot more money. I've been able to offer my employees health insurance, retirement. I was just crying when I was able to do that for them. I was like, oh my God, I can offer them retirement. I can offer them health insurance. And they were so thankful because I said yes to me and yes to the vision that I have for the firm. And so I think, you know, I just keep going back to what is the creator's law firm? Like, who are you here to serve? 
not just the community, but also the women who happen to work here for however long they're coming, what are you meant to do? And so um, I'm really fueled by that. And that's how I began to make these hiring decisions. I make it off of the business's need, but I also look at a lot of data. How much money are we making? Can we support that hire? Who do we need? Where are our weaknesses at? And then determining that as well. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a powerful moment too. And like, this is something that you'll hear from time to time, but you know, business growth is tied to personal growth at the end of the day too. Oh and gosh, yes. I think like one of these conclusions that I've, I've come to, you know, uh, you know, recently, it's just like, it's, it's kind of tough. Like a lot of people will choose because you bring out something really interesting. If you take care of your people, your people are going to take care of your clients. And yep. how are you supposed to take care of your people if you don't have money to pay them? Right. One of my, uh, this is kind of like a big uh, breakthrough I, I got from a, a, you know, this is a business, uh, you know, a mentor slash coach of mine, like, you know, years back, he, he told me, yeah, it's really interesting. People say, you know, people charge a lot because they're big companies and it's not true. Companies become big because they charge a lot. <laughs> and ultimately in the moment that you had, and you know, it's, it's like you're, you're choosing your, yourself and your team and your vision over the comfort of offering somebody a number that's not as high as they thought they wanted to it's consultation room at the end of the day too. And it sounds so simple when you boil it down to that, but it's the, the truth is a lot of people don't have the courage to charge what they're worth. And they don't have the courage to get people in a way that gives or to differentiate themselves in a way that kind of like as it were. But um, can you take us back to that moment? Because it seems like a real inflection point in your story. Like, how did you nuts and bolts get to the point where you were able to charge a premium and, and really kind of fund the, the growth of your, your firm from that point? Yeah, I started to realize and ask myself, okay, where are the issues? And I lost my daddy and I was just thinking about how I was charging and I'm like, okay, well, do you even know that what you're asking for is actually, you know, or, or is it below or above? Like, what's the value? And I ended up taking the CLE thank goodness. <laughs> it, the guy had this really amazing pricing calculator. He talked about how you can price appropriately for flat fees. And I'm like, what? I would call around and I'm like, oh, this guy charges 3000 for a trademark. Somebody else who charges 2000 Well, I just got started. So I think I'll charge like 800 mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So silly. And I'm like, no wonder you can't afford to pay yourself because you're literally doing things wrong. But I took that course and that was so awesome because he talked about how he broke down how he does his pricing calculator. And I began to use that calculator. It was just an Excel sheet. And I laid out every single thing that I did for my clients. And I realized that I was charging people like 14 at the time it's like 1450. The value of the service was $3,600. I got sick. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I was like, wait, what? And then I broke it down. I was like, I'm paying myself $11 an hour. I was so mad <laughs> at myself. I just get, and, and then because when you are the person who wants to serve your community and you're trying to do things fairly, your feelings and your heart are leading you. And so you're not base making business decisions off of data. You're making, basing, basing those decisions off of your feelings. And so when I looked at it, I'm like, on average, I'm spending X amount of hours on my client's work over a year and a half. Okay, well, now I use that, the data that I got from the calculator, the pricing, all of that, when we're pitching our services, well, on average, we spend X amount of hours to X amount of hours per each client. This is based off of data, you know? 
and this is based off the hourly rate and this is the value. So now it was a shift of, Takora, your feelings don't matter. The facts say otherwise. The facts are you're offering them a premium service. Like I didn't have to add anything else to the package to go from you, you paying me $1,450 to $3,000. The facts justify that. And then I realized people have more money than what you give them credit for. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you are assuming that people don't have the money to pay you. That's just not necessarily true. If you're able to communicate your value and say, here's why the price is what it is and it's justified, then what ends up happening is people will say, okay, you're right, let me pay you. You know, and that's what ended up happening. And so when I uh, fixed my mindset and then I had a tool that could help me justify it, that was so much better to me because I'm like, I'm not trying to get over on anybody, but, you know, still I'm offering a really great service. And this is the reason why it costs what it costs. And it's something that we can justify. And if someone says, well, no, I want you to do it for 50% off or some other attorney is offering these services at this point, I don't know what they do. I have no idea what's, I don't know what's going on in their business. I don't even know if that price is profitable for them, you know, because they're probably crying at night. They're probably stressed out. Like I was charging $1,500 for something if you don't have the price appropriate, or it may not be as thorough as what we do. And so for me, I'm able to just wash my hands, easily walk away and feel comfortable knowing my price is what it is. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And like, you can sleep so much better at night knowing that you're able to afford to pay the best people to take care of them. That's genuine. Like, exactly. I wish more consumers knew this. It's just like, you know, the money's coming from somewhere. <laughs> like, right. I, yeah. I always say this when I'm talking about marketing services too. It's just like, you know, if, if it's a lot less than this, you know, what it takes to get this done is the time and attention of smart people. And if it's much less than this, I got bad news about the type of people that are putting on your, on your case or how much time they're spending on it. So, but it's, I think it kind of works for any service business, but like, you know, I can, I could probably guess like once you ended up, you know, charging that for the first time too, you were never going back to 1500 after that. Never, never, ever. The first time someone paid me well over, I remember I, I had a tough time charging 2,600 for trademarks. And the first time someone paid me that without batting an eye, I was like, Oh, and then, <laughs> People pay, I have a 3000 package, $5,000 package. People pay it. And I'm like, okay, you just have to stay out of people's business. Like you stay out of people's purses and pocketbooks and wallets and you tell them what it is and then be okay with people walking away and then finding someone else cheaper if that's what they need. Sometimes that's what folks need. Mm. No, that's such a powerful perspective. And I also want to bring something up too, because, uh, you know, I always think it's very interesting too. This is a concept that's kind of been running around my mind. It's just like this this concept of being a monopoly and going full circle to what we started with here. I think the fact that you're getting people in the way that you are, it's not IP attorney, number one result on Google, number two result on Google. And those are kind of exchangeable commodities. It's Takora who I've been in their community for six months and I've seen her help. And maybe she's helped me out personally with something like that or rolling the dice on uh, Google results one through 15. And when I call them and ask the price, so I think there's such a benefit to marketing in that way, in a way that kind of produces uniqueness, but to kind of close this out on a little bit of a tactical thing. So let's take a look into kind of like your operation as far as like how that works today. And, you know, maybe even how it used to work when you got started, because I know you mentioned kind of joining the groups and starting your own and, and offering that advice, but what does it take to run that kind of a marketing operation? I know you got two people working for you at this point that are generating content, but what does it take to have something that really works for you once you put the work in? Now it's like, there's this quote from the founder of Nike. And he says, you know, if we do everything right, 
It was, it was, I have to figure it out. He said something like, and if we do just everything right, we'll make a lot of money. Like, it's almost like we're printing money, right? So, you know, for me, uh, and I'm a little critical of myself. I think sales and marketing is actually the weakest area of my business right now. Somebody else would look at me like, you're crazy. What are you talking about? But the reason why I say that is because I'm so intertwined into it. Now I'm trying to empower the team to not just think like me, but think like themselves. How we generate revenue and create content. And so what it looks like from, uh, I guess, an operational or tactical standpoint as it relates to sales and marketing, what we're doing now is we're looking at what's happening on the social media platforms, which is where we're primarily getting a lot of our clientele and what type of content do we need to produce to get in front of them. And so that's really what we're doing right now. How are we creating that content to get in front of as many people as possible, but also how is that content really helping them? and really demystifying legal. And so we are having conversations. The other thing that we're doing is we're generating surveys and we're saying, hey, what do you need support with? Where are you at? What would you like to see? Because if you ask those questions, people will tell you exactly what you're supposed to produce. That's the whole thing where I say, we got to slow down enough to be strategic instead of saying, I need to create 10 reels. Well, did you figure out what the market wants? Did you figure out what the market needs? What is the demand? And so I'm saying that's what we're doing now. Like, how do we generate information to be able to then turn it around and disseminate it? The other thing, too, is I am shifting from being the exclusive and sole face of the firm. Now, even though I've built this platform, everybody knows Takora, Takora and Trademarks. And, but I'm like, there's a huge machine behind me. There's huge team of amazing women, powerful women that want to help you. How can people realize the full power of the team, which is why we're creating a new website. And then we're also featuring those team members on the social media platforms. And so overall, if I could give anyone some advice about it, poll and create surveys and get as much information and feedback as you can from your followers, because those people are one step away from becoming a client. If someone's in your atmosphere of influence, they're connected with you, they're a follower, they heard about you on the podcast, they're on your email list, you need to ask them, what do they need? How can you be of service to them? How can you support them? Because if you actually answer their questions, they're like, finally, someone's listening to me. You're not just giving me something that I that you think I need. That was the worst mistake I made. I kept doing things that I thought people needed instead of asking them, what do you need? Where are you struggling? What are you afraid of? And so I have so much understanding of who my ideal client is. Uh, When I work with a marketing company we're working with now, he was like, I've never had somebody list so many pain points of their customer. I'm like, I study these people. Like I know, but it's because I'm also asking the right questions. Yeah. That's fantastic. And then just to get super, super tactical, when you say surveys, it's like, you know, social media posts, tell me what you're thinking about, emailing the list. Like how's, how are you getting this information? I just, we threw some stuff up in job form and yeah. we said, Hey, I, and I said, Hey guys. And I go into that Facebook group of 3,800 people. And I'm like, Hey, cause they're all entrepreneurs, every yeah. single person in there. Right. And I said, Hey, I've created a survey to help my team create content and um, products and services that are going to better support you. Could you take 60 seconds or 90 seconds to give me feedback that's going to help my business deliver at a higher level? I'd really appreciate it. You know, just that simple ask in the yeah. way that I crafted it, because it's true. I really do want to make sure that they're being served, but I don't know what they need. 
And people are like, yes, you know, I can, I can take the survey here. I just submitted it. And so now I have survey results. I have their emails. Now they're telling me things and it's really helping me understand where are you at if you're making less than a hundred thousand? Where are you at when you're making two to 300? Where are you at when you're making four to 500? What are your primary concerns and what do you need? And so then I turn around and I'm able to actually create products and services based on where they're at in those particular levels. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> Here I go doing the thing that I always make fun of other people doing and overcomplicating things because it's just simple as asking, hey, could you do this? Because it would make me it would help us out. <laughs> that's- We're so conditioned not to ask for help or for uh, us asking for help to make it seem like it's a weakness. At the end of the day, humans were created for community. We need each other to get ahead. And I can't sit up here and say, I've built this on my own. I haven't. And it's as simple as, can you take a survey? Can you help me out? I really want to know how I can better support you. What do you need? And if you do it, it is going to help me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm it's also going to help them though. Yeah. Right, it's going to help you too. So yeah. yeah. All right, that's fantastic. And I know we're getting a little bit to the end of the time. And I'm actually a little worried that we can get a higher watermark than that because it's a fantastic point to close on, Decora. But um, for anyone who wants to uh, you know, find out a little bit more about you or, or get into your world, what's the best way to, to get in touch? I think the best way to get in touch is to follow me on Instagram uh, at my first and last name, Takora Davis. Or you can follow us on Instagram at Creators Law Firm. You can always go to creatorslawfirm.com as well, and that will connect you with us on social. But uh, we're, we're gearing up to do some other things, start a YouTube channel, all that good stuff. But those are the best places to be able to connect with us and to hear from us. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. And then for anyone who's also looking to, you know, employ a strategy like this, hopefully not in the trademark space, but one of the best things I do, you know, as a marketer, I always like to, you know, if I want to have uh, access to the best, you know, email stuff, I just subscribe to email people that I really like. So if you want to look at what a tuned up social media strategy looks like, I'd highly recommend that as well. And also, yeah, <laughs> you guys have anyone that would be work to uh, get to work with Decor as well. Go ahead and <laughs> send her away as well. Very but um, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for taking the time to court. It has been a journey in terms of the tactics as well as the uh, the whole thing too. I had a great time. So uh, thank you so much again for for spending the time with us and for everybody else. I will see you guys next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.